So, moving on to our sermon text, Aaron Ferguson, who is our deacon of discipleship and development, is going to be preaching to us today from Psalm 131. Um, that can be found on page 519 in the Black House Pew Bible in front of you, if you want to pick that up, page 519, Psalm 131. Um, if you are able and willing, would you stand with me, please, as we read our text today? All right, Psalm 131, and I'm going to invite Aaron to come on up as well. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul, like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Come on up, Aaron, we'll pray for you real quick. Father, thank you for this day, um, the day um, that marks a new year. Thanks for all the folks that are with us this morning. God, we just ask that you use this time, use the words that you've given to Aaron to, uh, to build us up, to encourage us, to challenge us um, where it might be needed. Um, but just give us a, a little bit bigger glimpse of yourself today and the love that you have for us. It's your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Thank you, Seth. So good to be here this morning. Um, can't believe it's been a year since I've seen you guys. I know. It's uh, a really bad dad joke, but I have to start practicing in order to be ready by the summer. I'm really impressed it didn't get spilled during the welcome at some point over the last couple months, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> how about this? Uh, whether you're an adult or a kiddo or anyone in between, uh, raise your hand if you stayed up last night until midnight. There we go. Good. I need to keep you guys physically moving so that you don't fall asleep this morning. Uh, <clears throat> that also means that everyone who just raised their hand, adults, kiddos, everyone in between, you're going to need a nap this afternoon. And so for that reason, I will do my best today to be both kid and tired adult friendly, uh, by which I mean a little bit on the shorter side. I hope that's all right. Uh, but personally, I cannot think of a better way to start off 2023 uh, than to be here this morning diving into a psalm. And what I want us to contemplate together this morning as we launch into 2023 is this, rest, rest. Here at Chorus, we uh, talk about this a lot from the pulpit, rhythms of life and rhythms of rest. The main reason we talk about it a lot is because, well, number one, we see it as a significant theme in Scripture. And then on top of that, some of our biggest cultural idols are things like our jobs, our production value, our wealth, and other things in that vein. As we examine this passage today, the psalmist, King David himself, he's going to reveal to us what it is that keeps us from true rest, and then what true rest actually looks like. What we'll ultimately find is that contentment 
and our position allows us to rest in God's plans. Contentment in our position allows us to rest in God's plans. So let's get right into that first verse. Here it is. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Kind of an interesting way to start off your poem. We've got three negatives here in this opening line. My heart is not. My eyes are not. I do not. David's telling us about these things that keep us from true rest. Maybe surprisingly, one of the things that he doesn't tell us that keeps us from true rest is work. One of the things he says is not work. After all, work is good. God gave humans work before humanity sinned. Uh, Let's take a look at, just real quickly, those early chapters of Genesis. In chapter 1, we see this. God blessed the humans. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Next chapter. The Lord God took the human and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Here's humanity's first ever job description. Enjoy lots of quality time with your spouse. Rule the world, rule the whole world, and do some gardening. Work is good. It's not inherently, though it can often be, the reason we can't find rest. But it's not inherently. There's something deeper. What is it? It's the pride inside of our hearts that often keeps us from finding rest. David says, my heart's not lifted up. My eyes aren't too high. And I don't worry about things that aren't meant for me. And as with so many of David's psalms, this is almost certainly something that he had to learn as through a long life of negative experience and doing quite the opposite. Let's look at a moment in David's life, a moment of his story where his heart and his eyes are set on things that are not yet for him. The story of David and Goliath is found in 1 Samuel 17. It's probably, I mean, it, it's got to be in the top five most well-known Bible stories. Um, but there's a side of that story, there's a part in there that we often and easily overlook. At this point in the story, you know, David has been anointed to be the future king by Samuel. Uh, David is now, though, still too young to be fighting alongside his brothers who are off at war. Uh, but he does take them a care package from home one day. While he's there, the giant Goliath, he's issuing another one of his routine taunts. So let's jump in at verse 24 and see this moment of David's life. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, Goliath, they fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who, gives him, uh, who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach of Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, 
so shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left your few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. So David shows up to the camp. He hears about the bounty on Goliath's head. Great riches, marry a princess, and live tax-free for the rest of your life. He's like, now, is that just for the soldiers? Or, like, can anyone claim that? Because this guy, he's just, like, openly mocking the Lord, and I'm pretty sure... He's not going to let that stand for much longer. His big brother overhears this, and he's not very happy. He goes, listen, kid, you need to check yourself. Your heart's lifted up. Your eyes are too high. This stuff, it's too great, and it's too marvelous for you. David says, no, man, you got it all wrong. I was just curious about this treasure. Speaking of which, did you see which way the king's treasurer went? And so we know how the rest of this story goes. David kills the giant. He defends the honor of Israel. Uh, He gets the gold. He gets the girl. And then he has to go on the run. David has already been anointed to be the next king of Israel. But in this moment, he upstages the current king, Saul, who's none too pleased. All those royal benefits were headed his way. But because he upstage Saul, he has to live on the lamb for the next decade at least. Because of the presumption and the pride in his heart, kind of get this two sides of the same coin where, yeah, he's interested in standing up for God's name and God's people. A little treasure on the side doesn't hurt. He finds very little rest in the next chapter of his life. He's on the run. He's living in caves in the wilderness. So how is having your heart, our hearts, lifted up too high, causing us to miss out on the rest that God has designed us for? Maybe you're not after a literal king's ransom, but a lifted up heart can look like a number of things. Maybe it's pride, thinking more of yourself than you ought to. If keeping up appearances is your priority, then you can never stop. You can never rest. Maybe it's contempt. Not thinking of yourself so highly, but thinking poorly of everyone else. If you can never give a kind thought towards anyone, whether they're a family, a friend, a neighbor, an enemy, you're on a never-ending crusade, and you will never find rest. Or maybe the most obvious version of this would be self-righteousness. If you feel like you have to constantly try and prove yourself to God so that you can earn his forgiveness or a place in his family, my friends, the Bible promises this. You will never find rest because that's not an endeavor you can succeed in. Those are gifts of grace from God alone. 
forgiveness, family. They're not earnable. You can't earn them. And they're only received through faith. So then how do we find rest? How do we find rest? What does the next verse in the psalm tell us? Verse 2. I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. So let's unpack this metaphor. First off, um, what is an unweaned child like in their mother's lap? If you have younger siblings who you remember as babies, or maybe you have worked in childcare before, you probably know better than the rest of us. Um, or I guess if you have kids. <laughs> a hungry, unweaned child in their mother's arms is looking for food. They're fussy, they cry, they squirm. They know that their mother has something, and they're doing all they can to get it from her. Maybe on a morning like this, we can adapt this metaphor and say, a restless child who stayed up really late past their bedtime last night, or a restless adult. By contrast, the weaned child is able to sit still, to be calm, to simply enjoy the loving presence of their mother. They don't need anything from her. They're able to rest. As he writes this song, maybe King David is looking back on his life. He's thinking, God, I was just a fussy kid when you called me. You anointed me to be king, but I couldn't wait for that royal glory. I wanted to go get it myself. But now, God, I'm like a weaned child who sits in their mother's lap with contentedness. I don't need anything from you. I just want to be with you, receiving true rest in your loving presence. I had a friend uh, in college who used to say this to me all the time, uh, especially during those like real crunch times of the semester. Uh, if you're a kid here this morning, any kids? I see a lot of kids. If you're a kid here this morning, this part isn't just for the adults. You need to remind your parents of this, and your parents are definitely going to remind you of this. Here it is. Here's what my friend used to say to me. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. Yeah. Sometimes the most spirit-filled God-honoring thing that you can do with an afternoon or a weekend is to lay your head down and take a nap. Because when we sleep, whether that's overnight or for a short time during the day, we acknowledge our physical need for rest. It's one of the ways we say, God, I don't have enough. I am out. I'm spent. But I know that you can work and hold all this together while I recharge my batteries. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. And there are other kinds of rest, not just physical, um, you know, spiritual rest. We need emotional rest too. Uh, we're full human beings. Every part of us, mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, needs its rest. Let's keep looking at our verse though. The the but at the beginning of verse 2, it's so crucial because of the way it links these two verses. David is contrasting two realities that we can choose to live in. So as we take our first steps into 2023, we can enter with our hearts and our eyes that are too big for our britches, 
We can enter this new year filled with pride and presumption. But David says, I tried that. And it cost me a decade of rest. Instead, church, we can start this new year the way that David learned to be with God. Like a calm child. We can sit in our parents' lap. We can simply be with God. Not demanding anything from him. Not being fussy. David shows us how to rest. Stop looking past God for the things that he can give you and just start looking to God. Start looking at God. Start just sitting with God in prayer, in his word, in times of silence and solitude. Contentment in that place allows us to rest in God's plan. Carlos, we already looked at those first pages of Genesis to show us uh, that God's work is a good gift. But let's go back to those verses really quickly uh, to show us the right relationship between work and rest. Let's think about those first days when God ordered all of creation. Day one, God separates light from darkness. Day two, God separates waters above and below. Day three, God separates dry land from water. Day four, God fills the light and darkness with heavenly bodies. Day five, God fills the skies and the water with birds and fish. Day six, God fills the dry land with animals and humans. And humans are given the gift of work from the moment of their creation. We read that earlier. So we might expect that we would just get to work, right? I mean, I know how good I feel after a good night's sleep. Uh, If I have a great night's sleep, you know, as soon as my alarm goes off, I can just roll out of bed, feet hit the floor, don't need to hit the snooze button. Surely, you're never going to feel fresher than the day you're made, right? Like, that's the perfect day to work, is the day that you're made. You've never had a backache before, you've never um, had weird dreams that kept you up all night, I don't know. But not so fast, because, you know this, there's seven days in a week. And God blessed that first Saturday. He made it holy. And after he completed his work of creation, he rested from everything that he did. God creates humans at the end of day six. Animals come first, then humans. They don't even need to help God with the animals yet. There's evening, there's morning. And when they wake up on their first full day of existence... There's only one to-do item on the list, and it's resting in the garden with their creator. You're never going to be fresher than your first day ever, but their first task is actually not a task at all. It's to rest. This should be an important paradigm for us. We don't work ourselves to death so that we can earn a 15-minute break every now and then. God's good creation is not an Amazon warehouse. Rather, we rest with our creator, and then we do our work from that position of being filled and energized by his goodness and grace. We start from a position of rest. We work out of our rest, not resting after our work. It's an important paradigm because Jesus worked by a similar paradigm. 
On the sixth day of the week of Jesus' last week, he was crucified. By his death, he defeats the world's wicked beasts. He pays for humanity's sins. And then after his work of salvation is complete, what does he do? He rests on Saturday in that tomb on that Sabbath day. Jesus himself rests because he told us it is finished. Did you know, only nine of the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament are recommanded in the New Testament. Stay with me. Any guesses to which one is not explicitly recommanded? It's the fourth commandment, honoring the Sabbath day. Why is that, though? Is Sabbath rest suddenly unimportant to the church? Of course not. I wouldn't be doing this right now if that was the case. But we don't have to wait for a day anymore. There's not a day that we... We don't wait all school year for summer vacation. We don't wait all week for the weekend to find rest. Because Jesus is our rest. And we have access to Him and the rest that He provides at every single moment. There's no longer the straining to get to the Sabbath because we can have the Sabbath whenever we want. Because we have Jesus. After all, He Himself tells us in Matthew, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's with Jesus himself that peace and rest are found. It's not the striving. We don't don't have to strive for rest. We receive rest from Jesus as a gift. And we can only rest truly in him. Karish Church, long ago, King David closed this psalm, imploring God's people to hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. And this morning, at the precipice of a new year, I want to close by imploring you all, as God's people, to hope and to rest in the arms of of Jesus, starting today, for all of 2023, and forevermore. Let's pray. Father, you are good, you're true, and you're holy. It's in your presence where peace and hope and rest are found. Not just a little bit of those things, but they are found in abundance. God, like the psalm writer, reminds us, Uh, We often become arrogant and boastful, full of pride, thinking beyond you and trying to pursue things on our own that um, are not yet ours. God, when we get ahead of ourselves and ahead of you, would you forgive us? God, make us like calm children who can be in your presence just for the pure enjoyment of who you are. Lord, as we continue to worship you this morning around your table, uh, would you grant us unity? both uh, with your son and with one another. Convict our hearts of sin. Um, 
Would you renew our hope in Jesus? God, we thank you for everything that you've blessed us with. Uh, But most of all, we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.